Welcome to the Get Busy Podcast, presented by the University of Guam and the School of Business and Public Administration and the Bank of Hawaii Center for Entrepreneurship and Innovation. Join us today as we talk to innovators, entrepreneurs, and socially conscious change makers about their challenges and solutions to help guide you in starting or growing your business or side hustle. Be inspired. He founded the Farrell Company, a global firm that has trained more than 6 million people in entrepreneurship at universities, companies, and in government projects. Big government projects, I might say. We were talking earlier, and wow, it's very cool. He was also a Peace Corps, Harvard Business School, columnist for the Conference Board Review in New York, advisor to Cambridge University's Enterprise Solutions to Poverty Project, Larry has personally taught entrepreneurship to more people than anyone in the world. You might say, what? Just wait till he starts talking. You'll see it's, it's true. <laughs> All right. He lives with his wife, Sylvia, in Virginia and Arizona, and she also came to Guam, so that's awesome. Um, and you can find him at www.thespiritofenterprise.com. We will put that link on the YouTube channel as well. All right, without further ado, here is mm-hmm. Mr. Larry Fair. Thank you, Holly. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I hope you can all see the screen well enough. That would be nice. The reason for my, as I mentioned to Holly earlier and others, the reason for my visit to Guam, the, the main reason was uh, to, to uh, support the local junior achievement office. This is a book I just wrote about famous junior achievement alumni around the world. I interviewed 70 of them in 35 countries. Uh, and it's all about uh, entrepreneurship uh, of JA, Junior Achievement Alumni. In addition to that trip, members of the board of Junior Achievement know people here are on the board, and so we were invited over here to give a quick uh, talk to students uh, here. So if I talk too long, don't, you won't hurt my feelings if you get up and walk out, it's happened before. Uh, <laughs> but I'm gonna go about an hour, okay, and what I, th- you never, one never knows quite what the audience wants to hear. I see you're mostly young people. Uh, but I'm going to give you an introduction, a broad introduction, on the world of entrepreneurship as it stands today. And then I'm going to come down on entrepreneurship for individual people like you, who may want to, be, to be, become an entrepreneur and try to leave you with some really practical tips that you can carry away and, and take away, OK? So let me start here. On, and on, in terms of Holly's point about the six million people, uh, if you do the same thing for 35 years, you end up doing a lot of it. See, so it's more longevity than quality. I would say, you know, we stick <laughs> to our knitting. We don't do other things. The only thing I've done for 35 years is research my company, research and teach entrepreneurship. That's all we do. Right. So that's it. Okay. Let me see if I can change the channel here. Back here, maybe. Where's our IT man? What happened? Mm-hmm. Here's your computer back here, so um, maybe you can. No? Hmm. Sorry, there's a change. There's got to be a, an eye somewhere. Can you try it? Pushing it towards your computer, maybe? Well, usually you can just hit it right here. I can move it, but I, I have to 
three applications, three current applications that I know of for entrepreneurship, uh, and uh, they're, they're kind of, it's kind of an interesting story, and I'll talk about all three, but they are entrepreneurship for government, and we don't mean teaching government employees. This is economic development projects, taking people out of poverty, helping them start small family businesses. So it's a big market around the world. Uh, most governments are involved in some level of that today, and uh, I'll talk a little bit about that. Number two is corporate uh, education. Believe it or not, in my business, we've been here a long time, our single biggest market segment is not individuals. It is big, giant corporations who have become bumbling bureaucracies and want their managers to behave more as an, in an entrepreneurial way in their job. So it's called corporate entrepreneurship. It's a big training market today around the world and it's our number one marketplace. Geographically, our number one market has always been Asia, followed by North America, then Europe, then South America, and Africa. Okay, the third market that we're interested in, and we'll talk mostly here about that, is the individual market, individual people, and we teach through universities and schools. We do not teach people off the street in kind of workshops. We always go through a university like Cambridge or lesser universities and so on. Okay, now, the first point here is what really is entrepreneurship, and there's been a lot written about it, but I try to distill it down to something pretty simple. Uh, and the way that I began doing the research was I didn't just dream up what do I think entrepreneurs do or a psychological profile. I actually uh, uh, shadowed entrepreneurs. I interviewed them. I talked to them. I read about them to find out what are the most important things they do every day in their, in their work. How did, they, how did Walt Disney, what did he actually do to create the Disney company? What did Steve Jobs actually do to create Apple Computer? Right? And, and it, it isn't like they hate their mother or love their father. It, it's very practical behavioral type stuff that we were interested in. So we come up with what we think are the high growth practices of the world's greatest entrepreneurs uh, here. and. Uh, well, 30 years of research, and I will say, I mentioned this to Jane earlier, that all of my books, I've written, this is my, I've written five books now on entrepreneurship. Now, this is a tip to anybody who wants to get a book published, okay? To get a non-fiction, I, I don't know about fiction. To get a non-fiction book published, number one thing you have to become is an expert in a subject, okay? It doesn't even matter if you can write. You can hire a writer, some hack, there's lots of hack writers around. They'd be happy to write your book. But to get a book published, you've got to be an expert in some subject. Then it's easy. All right? So that's a tip for your friend in China. Okay. <laughs> and all my books have been published in China. See? I'm proud of that. So I was in Beijing several years ago. And this book here, this is my the third book, I think. This is the third book I wrote. It's called Getting Entrepreneurial. All right? It was published in Beijing, and I went to Beijing, and I, I was talking to Li Zheng. She's the editor. Citic Publishing is the second biggest publishing house in China. And I said to Li Zheng, I said, I'm so proud. My book is on the bestseller list in China. I can't believe it. I was so amazed. She says to me, 
Don't be too proud, Mr. Farrell. Any book with the word entrepreneurship on the cover will be a bestseller in China. Okay, so <laughs> that took me back. Okay. So, you probably don't remember this guy, Peter Drucker. He's the father of management. All business schools teach him. Uh, and I was giving this speech in Taiwan, actually, 20 years ago. Peter Drucker was in the audience, and he's the father of modern management, right? The most famous management professor of all time, right? And I'm thinking to myself, it's, 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 it's frightening to be in front of such a world expert talking about business and entrepreneurship. He got up at lunch and said, bigger is better turned out to be another 20th century myth, and Larry Farrell has eloquently described why, and I said, oh, thank you, Lord. Uh, thank you, Lord, for that wonderful comment from Peter Drucker. He was 80 years old at the time. He's now dead. Many of the people I'm quoting in here are dead, all right? And I've learned in writing books, it's good to quote dead people because you can't change their results, their record, you know? Like if I quoted the latest entrepreneur from the last two years in the U.S., in five years from now, they would all be bankrupt, maybe. You know, so you got to quote people who have already made their mark. That thing. Anyway, what Drucker was talking about is this. This is the this is the center of our research model, that we understand that all organizations, private, profit seeking, whatever, governments, whatever, they all live in a life cycle, like everything else. It's amazing, you know. There's phase one is startup phase. All organizations have a startup time, and if you've ever worked in a new business or a new department at a university, startup time, most people say it's the most exciting time of my life. Everything's new, right? And in business, it's like four or five people maybe in the startup, huh? and they learn something really important. If we don't have a product some customer will pay money for, we can't feed our children. We're not going to get paid, okay? So it's a very simple lesson in startup, but it's an exciting time. Two, maybe... One out of three companies succeed. Two out of three, they say, fail. New, new businesses, okay? The one out of three that succeeds, the Apple computers of the world, they succeed on the strength of a great product. One great product, usually, okay? Whether it's Microsoft or Apple or whoever, a Boeing aircraft, one great product. They go into phase two, a period of high growth. And if you've ever worked in a company during high growth time, growing 30, 40% per year, that also is an exciting time to be in an organization. Everything, everyone's pushing hard to get the product out the door. By the time, this is about 10 years, maybe another 10 years here. Now the company is 20 years old, 25 years old. And something quite interesting happens, and it's what I learned in my research early on. At about 25 years of age, all these great companies, they begin to slow down. Their growth goes from 30% to 10% to 2% to nothing, maybe. All right? They go into a period of relative quiet. Right? It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful phenomena. Okay? From high, now, from there, they go into phase three which is where they actually begin to decline relative to their competition. Their competition may be growing 5% per year. They're, they're maybe growing 1%, so period of decline. Now, when, when I got out of business school, like most business school graduates in the, in the mainland, I became a management consultant. That's what all these, 
the, the business schools in, in my day, we only, graduates, we only took two types of jobs. We became investment bankers or management consultants. That's all we knew. That's all we did, okay? So I became a consultant. And it was in this phase here when the big companies call in the famous consulting companies, McKinsey, Booz Allen Hamilton, these companies, come in and help us, okay? As one of those young people, I can tell you the truth. On every assignment I was on, we made the company situation worse. Uh, we didn't help it, we made it worse because we had no idea why they were slowing down, okay? We thought maybe they were bad managers, maybe they were bad planners, maybe they needed to have a better financial information system. None of that, we didn't know why, all right? So we made the situation worse. The fact of the matter was they were losing this very thing that created their growth in the first place, this entrepreneurial spirit, this entrepreneurial attitude. They were losing it. They went from five people to 5,000 people. Right? They went from knowing they had to sell a product to, to feed their children to more or less a secure job, more or less. Huh? So everyone's becoming a bureaucrat here. Then they go into phase four, survival, down here. Now, this chart indicates that there are two different types of management styles at work here. One is the entrepreneurial style, which is on the left-hand side. The other is what we call managerial style. Right? Managerial is planning, leading, organizing, you know all that. But what are these? What's over here? What are they doing? What is Disney doing? What is Steve Jobs doing? We don't know. We don't know what they did. No. We can't describe. We don't know what the hell they did. Okay? So my mission in life was to find out what they did. How did they do that? Okay? Also, I, I, I came upon this research. This Disneyland, Disney World in Florida. This is the Baker Library, Harvard Business School, Cambridge, Massachusetts. The library of the Harvard Business School. In two years at Harvard, I went in there one time only, all right? I found nothing in there of interest. But anyway, this is the science of management at business school, the magic of entrepreneurship at Disney. I know what this is. It's easy to explain. There's a hundred books on this. What is this? How did he create this magic? We call it magic because we don't know what it is, you know? This is, what, this is what Dr. was talking about. So, the practices of the world's greatest entrepreneurs, I'm going to describe what they are. Walt Disney, Kari Stoppinson, and Iceland, Elon Musk, Lito Rodriguez, great entrepreneur, Brazil, Jack Ma, China, Steve Jobs, USA. I was, I was telling Holly earlier, what is really nice about entrepreneurship, and if you're in this area, you, you'll appreciate this, it's a little bit like accounting. It's an international language. It's an international routine. It's an international discipline. The entrepreneur in Brazil, Rodriguez, he's doing the same thing as Jack Ma in China, who's doing the same thing as Steve Jobs did in the US. They follow the same procedures and practices. Entrepreneurship is a universal concept, a universal language, okay? It's culture free, all right? Okay, number one, sense of mission. Every entrepreneur I've met and interviewed, and I've met now maybe three, 4,000 of them, every one of them has this about their business. They have a sense of mission that they're doing something important with their life. <laughs> you know? 
I mean, that may not be important. They may be making some stupid product that you don't think is important, but they think it's important, and they have a mission. They're on a mission to create a business around this product or technology that they have. Okay? They think they're creating value for themselves, their families, and their customers. One of the things, if you study entrepreneurs as much as I have, you learn one of the bad sides of the entrepreneur people, entrepreneurial people, is that they tend to talk too much. They talk too much about their <laughs> business. You, know? you ever seen that? It's so boring. Okay? So I learned when I'm on a long airplane flight, like from San Francisco to Singapore, 17, 18 hours, okay? San Francisco, Singapore. This actually have, uh, sitting on the plane, I've learned to try to not talk to entrepreneurs unless I want to interview them for a book. But I don't want to just strike up a conversation with one on a long airplane flight. But I'm sitting in the airplane, this true story, 15 years ago, in San Francisco airport, we're still on the tarmac, young guy next to me. I turn to him and I put on, I look at him and I say, he doesn't look like an entrepreneur. Maybe I can take a chance and say something to him. So I turned to him and I said to him, how are you? What a mistake. <laughs> what a mistake it was. He was an entrepreneur. Yes, he was an entrepreneur. Right? And he talked to me for 18 hours about his product. He had, he had invented a product. Okay? 18, and what was his product he invented? He had invented, it's a true story, he had invented a machine that created perfect sand for the sand traps of a golf course. Artificial sand. He made this machine. Okay? Now, I don't play golf. I don't watch it on TV. I think it's kind of a stupid game. It's a bunch of old men hitting a ball, walking along, hitting a ball. I'm not interested in golf. I'm not interested in his machine. But he was interested. He acted like it was the holy grail, the greatest thing since bread was invented. You know? He had this sense of mission. He loved what he was doing, committed to it, 100%. So the, the lesson here is, if you're sitting on a plane for a long flight, and you're sitting next to an entrepreneur-looking person, don't talk to them. <laughs> Number two, if anyone ever, what are the two most important words in business ever? Customer and product. Without those two, you don't have a business. You can avoid everything else in business, but if you don't have a product that a customer will buy, you don't have a business. Entrepreneurs, I've learned, they think about this all day. They dream about it at night. They wake up in the morning thinking about it again. Customer product vision, single most important concept in all entrepreneurship and all business. Number three, high-speed innovation. The great founder of Sony Corporation, Akio, said, being innovative is the, is the entrepreneur's secret weapon. My secret weapon is I can outthink my competition. I can out-innovate my competition. And he said the really nice thing about it, this is Akil Marita, the founder of Sony. The really nice thing about innovation, it's free. All you have to do is think. You don't have to spend $5 million to build a factory or anything. You can just think up an idea. Now, in today's world, we, we call it high speed because 
Just being innovative is not enough. Okay? You've got to take action. You've got to implement that idea. You've got to learn how to move quickly in today's world where the average life cycle of products can be six months. Oh, you've got to move quickly. But anyway, high-speed innovation, practice number three. Sense of mission, customer product vision, high-speed innovation. Number four, self-inspired behavior. Number, number one lesson for entrepreneurs is this will come to you naturally. If you love what you're doing, and you have a great product the world wants, and you're an innovative person, you're already self, you're a self-inspired person, self-inspired. Now, in business, this turns out to be the underpinning of all of this, self-motivation, self-inspired. But the reason for it is simple. They have a sense of mission. They love what they're doing, right? They love what they're doing, and they have a great product to offer. So they're obviously moving on the move, on the move, self-inspired. Okay, let me show you an example real quick to show you how diverse this can be. This is the world's most exciting biotech expert in the world today from Iceland. Now, Iceland. Here's, here's what I like about Guam. Iceland has 232,000 people. Okay, 250,000. How many people in Guam? 165. About. Something like that. Mm -hmm. So this is a small country, okay, Iceland, okay. Kari Stappensen, th this proves why entrepreneurship is so important for small communities. Mm -hmm. You don't need to be in New York to do this, okay. He's sitting in Reykjavik, Iceland. He's a doctor, medical doctor, so he has an education. He realizes Iceland is the perfect country in the whole world to do genetic research finding the causes of diseases because in Iceland, everyone's related, homogeneous. There's been no new immigration to Iceland since 985 AD. Okay, the Vikings came over, brought a few Irish slaves, that's all. No one else has come there since then, 1,400 years or so, okay? What, what Stephens, and, and I've interviewed this guy twice, wonderful guy. What he found out was Everyone in Iceland has similar genetic markups, okay? So you take 500 Icelandic women with breast cancer, you take 500 who don't, you run the, the DNA markup on them and find out what's, what's the marker, what's different. He said, you can never do this research in New York City. It's a melting pot, all right? But Iceland, you could do that. So his, he's, he, this is a side point, he's become the richest man in Iceland, the most famous man in Iceland, more famous than the president of Iceland, who I also interviewed, interesting guy, right? wonderful story. Everyone in his company knows they're doing important work. Sense of mission on steroids. Number two, it's a guy from Brazil, Lito Rodriguez. He was a car enthusiast. He owned one auto car washing uh, station, washing cars. Right? And he realized we're wasting a lot of fresh water, and the dirty water is going into the sewage system of Sao Paulo, Brazil, making things dirty. I wonder if there's a better way to wash a car. He invented dry wash, a way to wash a car and other vehicles, other equipment, without water. Dry wash with a simple chemical compound, very environmentally friendly, right? Rodriguez. 
is the kind of a guy that understands. He wasn't a chemist. He learned how to do this by going to his high school chemistry teacher and getting advice on what cleans things. And he found out it's not water. It's friction that cleans things. That's why Arabs in the desert are clean. They, they use sand as friction, say, to clean themselves. So his, his idea is a simple one, but it made him, he now has 1,200 car wash sites across Brazil and South America. Right? An idea can change the world. Huh? Very nice. Number three, high-speed innovation. Here's the crazy guy, okay? Elon Musk. Have you heard about him? He's, he's invented, he started seven or eight different companies in the last 25 years. Unbelievable, huh? His big comment here is failure is an option here. If things are not failing, you're not innovating enough. Clearly, high-speed innovation is the key to outwitting, out beating the competition. Right? Number four, here's right up the street here, up, up the ocean, Jack Wong. Right? Get this. I applied and was rejected 10 times by Harvard University. He said, if you don't give up, you still got a chance. If you don't give up, you still got a chance. You know, that's a lovely face. 10 times he tried, couldn't get in. Well, he kept trying though. When he took, uh, you know, his company's Alibaba, big, okay? When, when, he, when Jack Ma took Alibaba public and the New York Stock Exchange, it raised $231 billion in value, the biggest initial public offering in the history of the New York Stock Exchange. From a poor guy in China, right? Unbelievable. Okay, anyway, let me go on. To wrap this all up, here's my, my, one of my heroes, Walt Disney. Look what Disney said. The inclination of my life has been to do things and make things which will give pleasure to people in new and amazing ways. By doing that, I please and satisfy myself. Just the four principles. The inclination of my life, the mission of my life, huh? not my personal life, my, my professional life, has been to do things and make things, products, which will give pleasure to people, customers, product, customer, product, customer, product, customer, over and over again, right? In new and amazing ways, innovative, something creative, something different, has to be, has to be better, cheaper, something. Doing that, I please and satisfy myself. I am self-inspired from my work. I don't need to go to a motivation program. I don't need to go to one of these Tony Robbins seminars to get motivated. I'm motivated by my job, by my work. I love what I do. Very nice. Walt Disney. That's what entrepreneurship is. Very simple. Four practices, four main ideas, okay? Why people, companies, and countries all need that? Why do, why do people need to have more of an entrepreneurial attitude in the 21st century? Huh? Here's why. Number one, the entrepreneurial boom is on us. The whole, starting in mid-80s, 1985, I think with the advent of Steve Jobs and Apple Computer, we entered a new revolution of entrepreneurial thinking in the world, okay? All of a sudden it became sexy, it became, Steve Jobs became a folk hero in North America, Richard Branson became a folk hero in, in Northern Europe, and on it goes, okay? And Jack Ma's a folk hero in China, okay? We all, every economist in the world today will tell you, the engine of prosperity in every country in the world is small business. They're creating 80% of all new jobs, small business, not big companies. It is truly a global marketplace. 
you can invent a product in Guam and sell it tomorrow in Germany. Easy. It's easy to do. It's not uh, a rocket science. Right? Fifty years ago, if you're living in Guam, say your grandfather, grandmother, they wanted to open a small store or do something on their own. Okay? They couldn't even dream of selling that service or product in U.S. or Europe or South America. It was too far away. So their market was their little town or their area, their county. Huh? They were constricted. Today, the world is your market. It's so easy to do. You know? It's not just the internet. Everything's easy to do. It's cheap to ship. It's cheap to fly. It's cheap to do all this stuff. Okay, and and you'll find brokers and uh, and uh, representatives around the world who want to represent you. So it's not that hard. I opened I, in 1985, 84. I opened my first overseas office in the Philippines. First one. I was in Princeton, New Jersey. And I got Philippine Airlines to buy my product on the phone, my, my training program. They paid me $12,000. That started my business in the Philippines. You know? I didn't have anything in the Philippines. So it's easy to do. Right? A million ways to do it. Global. Here's one very important to you as a future entrepreneur. There are huge niche markets, small markets, available to entrepreneurs that big companies cannot even afford to think about. All right? Think about pharmaceutical industry. If you're Johnson & Johnson or Merck, you cannot afford to research a new product if it doesn't have a marketplace of, say, $50 million. It's too expensive to do. Right? But if you're a doctor, like my friend in Iceland, he started this company for $1,200, beginning to do research on genetics. You know? It's very simple. He was going after a niche market. None of the big pharmaceuticals were doing what he was doing. So the entrepreneur, you go after these small markets that big companies are not serving. Huh? Fantastic. Startup capital available. People say to me, oh, I could become an entrepreneur if I had money. Money is available. The world is awash in startup money. Huh? Starting with government aid, family uh, help, Saving, number, number one source of new startup revenue uh, business today is uh, personal savings. Venture capital, the venture capitalists in Silicon, in Silicon Valley have more money than good ideas. They have money stored up, they can't get rid of it because they don't have enough good ideas anymore. Biggest risk of all, what is the biggest risk of all to a young person like you? I'll tell you what it is, honestly. Going to work for a big company. That's the biggest <laughs> risk, okay? Okay. Number uh, six, what I love most about entrepreneurship. It doesn't matter if you're a girl or a boy. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter who your family is. It doesn't matter even where you went to school. Of course, it's an advantage to go to the University of Guam. We know that. <laughs> it doesn't matter who your family is, your background, anything. If you come up with a great product that the market wants, you cannot be stopped. It's amazing. This is why I always tell audiences, entrepreneurship <coughs> is more important for poor people than rich people. Because rich people, let's say middle class and above. I'm going to say mostly people like us, OK? We look middle class and above. Well, we look well dressed. We certainly look well fed, right? Most of us, <laughs> <don't> <laughs> 
We and our children, we have options in life. Go to college, do this, do that, all kinds of options. Kids in poverty don't have options, whether they live in New York City or Guam or, or Calcutta, they don't have options. Entrepreneurship gives people that option. If you come up with a service or a product idea that the neighborhood and the country and the world needs, you can't be stopped. The ultimate meritocracy. It's fantastic. Now what we know now is that being entrepreneurial is not just good for starting your own business. It's good for being a doctor, a lawyer, a scientist, a government worker. All avenues of life, being entrepreneurial gives you an advantage in your career. Big advantage. Think about those four practices. Sense of mission, customer product vision, high-speed innovation, self-inspired behavior. Gives you a big advantage. The three applications, first, economies, the country, whole country. The Economist ran a wonderful article years ago called The Mystery of Economic Growth, and they claimed in this article, no economist has yet explained why some countries are poor and other countries are rich. There's no economic explanation for that, okay? We don't know what it is. And they said it's the single most important question in economics right here. What we find out is this. There is one man who tells us what it is. He was the famous finance minister of Taiwan. As you may know, Taiwan was the most successful economy of the 20th century. All right? From 1949 to the year 2000, average GDP growth 9.2% per year. Highest in the world for 50 straight years. Who was in charge? KTB, this guy, right here, okay? I interviewed him on tape. I said to KT Lee, what are the reasons why Taiwan is so successful economically? You went from poor, very poor, to rich. Here's his five reasons. Number one, we built the economy of Taiwan by creating and honoring entrepreneurs of Taiwan. They were our heroes, not big company managers. Entrepreneurs, they were our heroes. Number two, we aligned the job baby ratio. Now, this is very controversial. The job baby ratio is a big deal. You can't, he said, have as many babies as you want in your society, but just remember, for every baby born, you need to create at least one job in the future. All right? Maybe half a job, but you need to create, you have to have this in mind. So we have to align the job. He said, wherever you look in the world, too many people, poverty. Number three, government's job in Taiwan, make people rich. Number one job. That, our job is to make people rich. Huh? Now, President Trump is telling me he's going to make my country great again. I don't want to be great again. I want to be rich. All right? <laughs> I like this. <laughs> okay. Number four, Taiwan, the government of Taiwan made big investments in small business. They didn't make investments in big companies, they made big investments in small enterprise. Very smart, very smart people in Taiwan, huh? Finally, their education system was in future products and services. They looked into the future. What, do our, what does our workforce need 20 years from now, 30 years from now? What's going to be happening in the world? Very forward thinking, okay? So you, our governments can, can think about these things. Okay, prosperity cycle of nations. Look at this. There's, think about this. There's never been a country in the world that stayed rich forever. Never happened. Never happened yet. 
Right? There was old China, the main balance went down. Right? Spain went down, rich to poor. Great Britain, the year 1900, richest country in the world. By 1970, they were almost bankrupt. Rich to poor. Okay, so this happens. The life cycle is rise, growth, decline, and fall. Okay? Three questions. Why do the poor get rich, like Taiwan? Why do the rich get poor, like Great Britain at that time? Why do some poor stay poor forever, like Bangladesh? Bangladesh area has been poor forever. It's still poor. Never been rich yet. Maybe someday, but so far, no. Why is that? These are important questions, you know, for economists to think about, right? What KT Lee tells us, these are the things that are important for a nation. Have a national sense of mission about your future. Everyone having the same vision, the same idea about the future of their country. What do we want here? Number two, you have to make products the world will buy. I went to Sudan one time in Africa, Sudan. I was there for a week. I didn't see one thing made in Sudan that anybody would want to buy. You see? And people in Sudan, they said to me, it was at a university. They said, oh, Mr. Farrell, you're an expert on entrepreneurship and this. Why are we so poor? I said, because you don't make anything anybody wants to buy. That's why you're poor. No? Anyway, number three. A nation has to have a national urgency to improve. As we say in Mexico, the, the manana attitude. Oh, let's worry about it tomorrow. No? If you're a nation that wants to get rich, you want to get rich tomorrow. You want to improve tomorrow. National urgency to improve. And finally, a nation... <laughs> of self-inspired people. Now, this is a tough, you know. How do we create a nation of self-motivated people? Huh? If we had a potient, some medicine, self-motivation, I could just give you a pill, right? we'd all be self-inspired, be great, you know. Right? How do we do that? This is the number one question for political leaders. How do, and you had a nice inspired day here yesterday, how do we inspire our citizens? The government's number one job is to lead and inspire people. Okay, so anyway, these are some tips here on how to get a country rich. Some of our clients in the government arena, New York City, Finland, Brazil, Ghana, India, Australia, South Africa, all these places we have projects in creating entrepreneurship for poor people with government assistance. Government. Okay, number two. Oh, why so many governments? Because entrepreneurship is a bargain for a government. New York City, the, the president of New York City's Commission on Economic Development said to me, Larry, we've created a New York City venture capital fund, a great investment for the city. And he told me the figures. The average startup cost of a small business in New York, $14,000. The average cost for the city to keep one family on welfare for one year, $25,000. The average cost of sending one smart student to Harvard, $50,000. The average cost of keeping one criminal one year in prison, $75,000. All of these things, much more expensive than helping the family start a business. So this is a great investment for the city of New York, okay? If governments think this way, then they have a chance, huh? Okay, of course. Now, 
your company, I'll go quickly here. Revive the entrepreneurial spirit in your company, same thing, life cycle, same story. But I wanted to mention this. The most important one is number two here. Of the 100 richest companies in America 100 years ago, how many still in business today? 16, only 16. 84% failure rate of big business. Why? I say because they lost their entrepreneurial spirit. They all became managers and not entrepreneurs in their business, okay? All right, and this one, I really like this one. I'm a big fan of family-owned businesses, family-run businesses, okay? I did his research on this. Family-run businesses outperform what I call MBA-type-run businesses by 35% on the S&P from 1960 to 2010, 50 years period. I did the research. Family-owned businesses like Walmart, Walgreens, Ford Motor, those are family-controlled businesses still, and smaller, family-owned. They outperform the managerial-type businesses. Yet, if you read any management book today, they're all saying, well, the, man, the, the family-run business is old-style, old you know, we need a new modern business today, you go public and so on. Crazy. Okay, the four principles, keep the sense of mission alive as you grow. Reinstill customer product vision in your business, foster high-speed innovation, make self-inspired behavior the organization's end. These are later on for you. When you get into business, these are principles you need to attract. Look at our clients. What? Look at these clients. American Express, IBM, Coca-Cola, Glaxo, Unilever. These are our customers. Why are these big companies training their managers in entrepreneurship? Because they're all slowing down, right? They want to reinvigorate themselves. They want a new push. They want to be more entrepreneurial. Okay. All right. I want to go. One of our interesting government clients is the Apache Nation in Arizona and New Mexico. Apaches, Apache Indians. Huh? Fantastic project. Huh? The American, Native American Indian. They are the poorest people in America, in, you, in the mainland. The poorest people. They're chief. They're chief. Brilliant guy, young guy. He says, we got to help our Apaches start family businesses. We got to create prosperity here. So, and he said to me, Larry, the older people, the elders of the tribe, they come to me and say, Chief, we don't want to lose our old ways. We want to keep our old ways. And he says, I tell them our old ways, all Apaches ever did was steal cattle and rape women. We can't do that. We can't keep doing that. You know, we got to find a better way to live than that. The final comment on companies, famous quote from Steve Jobs. When he started hiring managers, he said, we found out the managers know how to manage, but they can't do anything, like creating a better computer, like actually building a better mousetrap. Okay, now let's come down. We're going to close up on you guys here. Find it yourself. Getting entrepreneurial 21st century. Here's the myths, okay, I'm gonna dispel these myths. Number one, I, I mentioned this earlier, Holly. Number one myth about entrepreneurs is they're born, not made. Not true, not true. Number one reason for new entrepreneurs in the United States is economic necessity. They lost their job, they need to find a way to put food on the table. Economic necessity, they weren't born that way. Their situation, they were desperate, so they just they decided to do something on their own. 
Myth number two, all entrepreneurs are geeks and weirdos. They're all strange people. You know, they're weird. It's not true. The average entrepreneur in the United States, 35 years old, not new one, 35 years old, average IQ, very low divorce rate, by the way. I don't know why, low divorce rate. Huh? Maybe they're boring people, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and average education and so on. So they're, they're average like you and me, average people. They're not strange people. Okay, number three, entrepreneurs do it to get rich. No, if you want to get rich, become CEO of Bank of Guam. That's how you get rich, okay? Be become CEO of a big company. You can get rich to make $10 million a year. Most entrepreneurs have a nice income, but they're not rich by and large, okay? But you can get rich, of course you can, it's possible. <clears throat> Number four, they're mostly shady characters. You know what I mean, shady? Unscrupulous. They cheat, you know? The biggest <laughs> in the US, if you look at the news, the biggest cheaters in business are the heads of big companies. They go to prison 10 times more often than entrepreneurs do, okay? You don't see Sam Walton going to prison, but you see the head of Toyota going to prison. You see the head of all the these big companies in the, in the US, not in Japan, okay? They're big risk takers. And finally, MBA the way to go. Now, MBA is okay. Business education necessary. But that's, I'll get to it in a minute. That's not going to make you a successful entrepreneur. An MBA has, by and large, been designed to make you good managers. Okay, but as Steve Jobs says, managing and entrepreneuring, very different. Very different thing. Okay, big risk, Bill, Bill Gates, soft, uh, Microsoft. Risk, what risk? I started Microsoft for $700. Second richest man in the world today after this Amazon guy, Jeff Bezos, okay? What risk? What's the risk? Apple was started for $1,300. DHL was started for zero. Famous companies started for very little money, so it's not a big risk. Okay, number two. Startup, moment of truth. Sense of mission, leaving footprints in the sand, customer product vision, customer, my customer, my product, my self-respect, very important. High-speed innovation, when your life depends on it. Anyone can be innovative if your life depends on it. If you're too complacent, you take it easy. Okay, number four, self-inspired behavior. Love what you do and get very good at doing it. The road of entrepreneurship for individuals, the road out of poverty. Here is America's first self-made woman millionaire. All right, Sarah Walker, black lady. She says, I, was, I promoted myself from the cotton fields of the South. She invented this, like Avon, like house-to-house -house direct marketing weird selling system of selling cosmetics and hair products for black women. She noticed in the year 1900 in the United States, there were no products for the hair of black women or the skin. And they were a bit different. So she devised, she created some shampoos and solutions and oils, especially for black women. And her, she and her people, they only sold in the black neighborhoods. By 1905, she was a millionaire by herself. No husband, three children, no husband. Huh? I talked to her granddaughter in Indianapolis. And I said, oh, 
your, your grandmother's story so long? said, yes. He says, by the way, Mr. Farrell, we still don't hire any men. <laughs> we don't need you. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, wrote out of hardship. This is my friend in Virginia. His name is Buell Messer, Messer Landscape. I read about him in the newspaper, and I read that he's a landscaper, big company, about $25 million a year, a medium-sized company, landscaping. And I read in the newspaper, he's blind, he can't see. So I said, how can a blind man be a landscaper? So I went to his, I went to his office and interviewed him for my book. I said, and while I was interviewing him, I learned that he also had been a criminal. He had been in prison, blind. And I said to him, Mr. Messer, what were you in prison for? He said, cattle rustling. <laughs> I said, cattle rustling? How does a blind man rustle cattle? And he answered, not very well. That's why I got caught. <laughs> so smart, huh? But then he became a land, I don't know how he did it, became a landscaper. Rich man, right? Rolled out of hardship. Can be, you know? Okay, I like this story. Closing entrepreneur there. Here's the, here's the four main tips I give you. These are takeaways, okay? Number one, the, the, the most important lesson. Number one, around sense of mission, to, to start your business, to create, a, to create a mission for your business. Here's the three most important questions you must ask of yourself. Number one, what do I like to do? What am I passionate about? Number two, what am I good at doing? This is where the skill comes in, you know? What am I good at doing? Number three, what is the market need for that, for what I'm good at doing? Those three questions will raise your chances of success 500%, believe me. If you can't answer these three questions, do not start your own business. What do I like to do? What am I good at doing? What is the market need? On customer product vision, tip, managing is the easy part. Inventing the world's next great product is what's hard. The number one thing you have to do as an entrepreneur is invent a great product or service. Number one thing you have to do, all right? And you have to learn how to do that. You can be an apprentice, you can go to some school for that, you can do a lot of things, but rule number two, most important lesson. Number three here, high-speed innovation. Ah, another biotech genius, okay, San Francisco. His company, Chiron, they discovered the uh, vaccine for hepatitis B, okay? They're saving a million lives a year around the world because of his product, okay? So I went to interview him. He has a PhD in biology and a PhD in chemistry, two PhDs. So I think he must be very smart. So I said to Mr. To Dr. Dr. Pinto, what's the reason for your company's success? Are your scientists so smart, must be so smart? He said, no, Larry. In our business, everyone's smart. We're all smart in biotech. The trick is to get to the finish line first. Speed, speed, speed. Yes, we're smart, but we move quickly. Being smart is not a competitive advantage in the biotech industry. Everyone's smart. Okay, it's an interesting concept. I like that. Number four lesson. From Singapore, Jenny Tay, the great retail expert, she said to me one time, she's a personal friend of mine, and she has this story. She said, listen, Larry, after 10 or 20 years in working, you begin to realize 
that you are going to spend more time at work than with your family. You're going to spend more time at work than with a hobby of some kind. You're going to spend more time working than any activity of your life. So God help you if you don't love what you do. This is why it's important to be inspired about your work. You're going to spend your life doing it. Otherwise, you'd be bored your whole life, right? Okay. And here are some, look at this, Caltech, Cambridge, India, Ateneo, Philippines, well, all these universities teaching people. And finally, I'll close on this, the great new idea about entrepreneurship, social entrepreneurship, using entrepreneurship to fix the world. Here's the leader of the movement, Klaus Schwab. He founded the World Economic Forum, big supporter of social entrepreneurship. The social entrepreneur combines the characteristics of Richard Branson and Mother Teresa. That's like, I like that, huh? very nice. So what's really required? Three things. A bit of, keep it simple. One of my Richard Branson. One of my advantages is I have a high, don't have a highly complicated view of business. Keep it simple. Business is simple. Brain surgery is complicated. Business is simple. All right, compared to that. All right. Number two. Yes, you need a bit of money. Fourteen thousand on average. Not a lot. Where does it come from? Personal savings, 73% of entrepreneurs use personal savings. 27% use credit cards even. See that credit? I, I don't suggest that, but you can use credit cards. <laughs> huh? Loans from friends and relatives. Now this one, 14%, I gotta tell you something. Borrowing money from your in-laws is not a good idea. <laughs> I did that once. <laughs> not a good idea, okay? <laughs> okay, personal property loans, seven. Uh, bank loans, usually, <coughs> unless it's a small business bank that's interested, big banks are not really loaning to first-time entrepreneurs so much. Second level, yes. Uh, equity investments, only 2%. Most, most entrepreneurs don't go public right away. And this is a new one, internet crowdfund crowdfunding. It's crazy, huh? Come up with an interesting, sexy idea, put it on the internet and crowdfunding. You can raise $20,000 in a week. It's amazing. Who are these people that put money into these things? I don't know anybody who does it. Anyway, it's possibility. <laughs> okay, and a bit of knowledge. A bit of knowledge. The third, the final thing, a bit of knowledge. And this is what I told you, Holly. University of Pennsylvania, Aid McMillan, Wharton Business School, they're a great business school, but they were concerned that most of their graduates were not starting their own businesses. They were becoming managers only. And they did a survey, and they found out that University of Pennsylvania, graduates from engineering, biotech, computer science, and even fashion design are three times more likely to start their own business than an MBA graduate. Why? Because these people know how to make something the world will buy. All right? I went to Harvard, got an MBA. I didn't know how to make anything when I got out of Harvard. He said, become a management consultant. Okay. Then we have applications 1 to 13. A lot of, I'm going to jump through here. They're all in the book, if you ever look at the book. The applications in the book are designed to take you on a path, simple path, to start your own business. Step by step. Right? And I'll close with this. The inclination of my life has been to do things, make things which give pleasure to people, new and amazing ways. By doing that, I please and satisfy myself. The four principles. Sense of mission, customer product, high-speed innovation, self-inspired behavior. And so 
the closing message is we want I want you do something great with your life. Don't be bored. Number two, the best entrepreneurship is the best success tool ever invented. Number three, it's good for all jobs, all careers, and all fields. And four, if you come up with a good idea, nobody can stop you. Thank you very much. That's it. Okay. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We want to thank our sponsors, the University of Guam, the School of Business and Public Administration, and the Bank of Hawaii Center for Entrepreneurship and Innovation. If you would like to be a guest on the Get Busy podcast, please email us at uogc4ei at gmail.com. To follow our journey and get behind the scenes insights and updates, please visit us on Facebook at uogc4ei and on Instagram at uogboh. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and get new episodes delivered to your app. Thank you again for listening. Now go get busy.